every humiliation which stood in his way could be swept aside by this simple act of annihilation. Murder. If anybody says that our Giallo talk sucks, we tell them no. Our Giallo, it's not supposed to make sense. Okay? It's Giallo. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Episode 3, Giallo, Part 2. What makes a film a Giallo? What would you say are the the trademarks and the tropes? So you got point-of-view shots of killers. Right. You have gloved hands, (laughs) leather gloved hands. Which cracks me up, yeah. Uh, trench coats, yeah. hats, or disguised yeah. colors. Yeah. And then some spectrum of sexual misfunction, dysfunction, psychosis. Yeah. Right. You'll get a softcore giallo, yeah. which is like, oh, that's the. To sleazy, horrible exploitation. Yeah, genre. yeah. I tend to shy away from that stuff because no New that's, York Ripper for you. I haven't seen it yet. Is that the one where the guy is a duck? The guy oh, uses yeah. a duck voice, which yeah. is the second Fulci duck thing. Don't torture a duckling. Is, right, is, but that's like a real film. Whatever. Now, is that a giallo? Is don't yes. torture now because the, I don't remember exactly, but is the is it just matter if it's a mysterious killer with POV stuff? Also, the body count is a big deal. Body count, red herring. Bay of Blood goes bonkers on that. For me, yeah. The reason I wouldn't call Suspiria a giallo is because there's no crime element. I feel yeah. giallos yeah. need a crime element, yeah. a killer. Who's the killer? Why are they killed? Well, the woman at the beginning is, the main character comes in and sees someone who's escaping and is killed. Right. And is, I guess you could argue that the crime is the witchcraft. But is but is Inferno a sequel okay, to Okay, I didn't see Inferno. Yeah. I saw Inferno quite a while ago and I didn't remember, I don't remember a lot of it. But I don't think so. But people seem to include it. I saw it. Yeah. But that's the thing. The lists are always going to be different. If you're getting somebody, if somebody's becoming new into it, it's like getting, ingratiating yourself with manga or anime, or or Hong Kong action flicks, you know, or French films, or, or silent movies. You don't want to get bogged down in the arguments. And obviously, if people know this stuff, they're probably nodding or making up their own list right now. Of course. But I found that something that, like, I, sh- I shied away from looking into that because I found it besides the point. The bird with the crystal plumage, the cat, oh, nine tails, four flies on grey velvet, the house of the yellow carpet, the house with laughing windows, the bloodstained butterfly, the bloodstained shadow, seven bloodstained orchids, seven deaths in the cat's eye, the killer must kill again, the killer reserve nine seats and spos, no. Cat and Nine Tails comes out like April or May yeah. of. Um, this is Argento we're talking Argento. about, yeah. April or May. Yeah. And December, Four Flies on Grey Velvet. Comes right, out. that's his, his animal trilogy, the I animal think. Trilogy. The animal trilogy. Because there's animals. Well, that's the funny goddamn thing, too. Anybody who's getting into. If you're like me and you, you start getting into geology, you go, what's this? What's with the titles? Eight. Eight dwarves on a rock of blood, five virgins in a bed under the moon. What the hell? It's now is this just the monkey see monkey do what sells? Do it because he stopped it. I read because he got sick of everybody ripping his names off. Yeah, I'm sure the black belly, the tarantula, the scorpion. The it, it gets re- short night of glass doll. Is it short night? Of <sighs> I I should have written a bunch of them down, but but they are absolutely insane. They they just they make no sense, and they're so forced in there. <laughs> you 
yeah, I mean, is Bay of Blood one? I, I guess it is. Yeah, I think so. But it seems to be one way. What's the Battle Royale? It's just everybody just fucks each other over. I mean, Great that movie, ending. that, I don't know. Bay of Blood. I don't really like Bay of Blood, but I mean, it's certainly watchable. It's like Slacker or something. We go, did you, did you like that? Okay, now, meanwhile, over here, it's so bizarre and disorienting. And the, and the ending, when we, we saw that it exhumed, that was the first time I saw it. We walked out of that, and I honestly thought that Italy had like a mental illness problem in 1970, whatever. I was like, I'm starting to think that why are all the Italian films we watch insane? I mean, we had seen a, a bunch of the zombie ones, and they felt like they were made by children. There's yeah. a rat in my costume. There's I'm yelling while I'm being... You know what I mean? It was just like they were remaking other films, but children wrote them and shot them. Here's Dawn of the Dead, except we're going to let Giuseppe make it. He's 12. It's his birthday. I want to see a rat inside somebody's clothes. It, they're just fucking nuts. And I started to honestly wonder about Italy. I, it's the lack of control that freaked me out. But, you know, seeing more movies right. has helped me see want to watch more. So I'm diving in now. Murder runs wild. Blood runs cold. Terror runs deep red. Deep red. It'll put you into deep shock. He's so visual based because I didn't really notice what the first time seeing it, and but now watching for it, uh, there are clues. But you have to see them just like your your hero. When, the way that he is trying to pull something out of his memory, I didn't remember that there's a character who has dolls and things. Um, they when, don't make a big deal of it. They don't talk about it. When we saw the film in Exhumed, yeah. I had remembered to specifically look for the scene that tells you who the killer is. I, I did that. I did that on the new one. And it's, they don't cheat. It's about a riot of colour as well, a sort of candy-coloured kill-fest nightmare. You sent me that clip of a guy saying, what does he say? You should... There's an unreality to the giallo that is... Right, it's from a, um, a documentary called All the Colours of Giallo. Right. Yeah, the guy says <laughs> cause and effect relationships aren't essential in giallos. You like to really bore in on a subject when you get interested in it. Is this, how is this discussed in Italy? Do you know? Well, do they care? In that documentary, yeah. it's interesting. They have a, a, a screenwriter on who kind of takes some digs at Argento's tendency not to make a tight mystery. You know, there's some discussion about, well, if you were making really good ones, the audience would be able to figure out everything from the clues and blah, blah, right. blah. I mean... Argento really seems to be a guy who says, this is what I want to do. Yeah. That documentary has a, um, an interview with him where he talks about there's a scene with a moving puppet in deep red. There sure as hell is. And it's not even, it's, yeah, yeah, it's bizarre. And everybody told him, don't do that. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, it it's doesn't. Just, no. It's the, it's. But you remember it. My friend Robert. He goes, well, which version of Deep Red are you saying? And I said, as long as the porcelain doll puppet comes out, I don't give a shit. Because when I first saw that thing in, uh, at Exhumed, because I didn't remember that from the first time I saw it, the audience goes bonkers. Oh, yeah. It's and insane. It's insane and it's scary because it's so wrong. Weirder than Phantasm and it's not supernatural. It may, I watched it like three times to try to figure out, is there a mechanic that you're supposed to be following here? No. no. It's not like a skeleton on a hook from a house on a haunted hill. The goddamn thing is a prop that runs 
across the room. And what's even really weirder about it is it's... I misremembered it. I thought the thing knifed him. I'm not, this is not a huge spoiler. I mean, sure. But, um, yeah, I forgot that it's just crazy. Argento was not interested in the scene in The Girl Who Knew Too Much, where the girl is sitting in a restaurant with the professor talking about what may have gone wrong with her. And at the same time, the scene would, in Argento would be boring. Right. Or they'd be bad comedy, uh, a waiter with a strange Dick Tracy villain face, you know what I mean? Or stuttering, or, you know, he has to, you know, like bad people have bad faces in Argento, which is a little childish, but that's his shtick. Um, but during that scene, in Bava has, and the screenwriters have John Saxon character built up in that scene. You find his jealousy building in that one. And it's still a short scene, but it's done, the, the, the in-between parts of that, the in-between parts of Cat of Nine Tales. I enjoyed that. It's traditional, and that's why it drops out, I think. It just doesn't seem as giallo, because no. Carl Malden is a real live human being. His, uh, James Franciscus. James Franciscus is a lot of fun in that. He, and he's not a great hero. He bumbles into a lot of stuff. But the two of them have real chemistry. And I love the kid. In fact, I almost hope the kid stayed throughout the whole movie, because I yeah. liked her relationship with Carl. There's a lot of decent acting, uh, as opposed to... Sometimes a, a giallo or, an, uh, or some Italian films will feel like the, uh, the early days of sound, where people are... Uh, Three theater actors, two people who don't know how to use their voice, one person who does shtick. It's a jumble. It could throw well, you off. Imagine what it would be like to go on the set and you're speaking your lines in English and somebody else is speaking Oh, yeah. Them in well, you should talk about that. Well, yeah. How, the, how are Giallo's and a lot of Italian movies at the shot? They're dubbed in later. Yeah. So the Everybody speaks their native language. Yeah. Which is amazing, especially when you have casts where there's a German actor, Italians, American is brought over. Right. And the crew speaks Italian. I've, I've seen people complain. And most of these films have a mixed group oh, yeah. of actors. Now, a, the, a lot of European actors, and they're all talking, so they're all talking in their native language, generally. I think so, generally. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I think also if you have an Italian actor that speaks English, they yeah. might be speaking English, but they don't speak English You get English some really, well. yeah, you get some really stiff. So, so what you wind up getting is, imagine, you know, they say about it today, a lot of actors can't act to a green screen yeah. where CGI is going to make something wonderful. They yeah. just can't do it. Yeah. So what is it like when you're having... Well, a, these a, days, I see you see movies, people don't have to act with their partner. No. They keep cutting. Yeah. Nobody has to act out a scene that builds. Right. Scenes don't build. Scenes are built. And old movies, people, for good or for bad, the camera was on people interacting in a master shot. They seem to throw the master shot in the garbage. Uh, they set it up and then cut, face, talking. Whoever talks gets the camera. It's frustrating because the actors don't get to mesh and, so I think and in this movies it definitely hurts right. everybody's a little distant knowing who's involved in a giallo as the guiltier they look the more innocent they are or somebody they're attached to is doing it Generally, there's, you can never tell. Well, the thing is, I think maybe with Argento, you have to look at it as if he's making some kind of art film. Right. Now, what do I mean by that? Does it that he can a, just say it's art, he, but he doesn't want to explain something. Yeah, he does whatever he wants. And I know he's talked about that his films are based on dreams sometimes, yeah. dreams and nightmares, <laughs> which is 
good for him, I guess. He's working through something, I guess. He likes to, you know, throw his wife and or daughter on the floor and cover them with fake blood and rough them up, which is a different conversation. I find that kind of... I find Argento... It doesn't seem to have affected his daughter. Oh, absolutely not. She's fine. Yeah. But yeah, I I feel creepy watching a director's daughter being attacked. You always said that you had a problem watching Stendhal's. Yeah, yeah. I'm... I have a problem with a lot of Giallo, to be honest. I mean, this is a thing. I mean, the question of whether they're misogynistic or not. I don't think you can come away from them and not say that they're misogynistic. They are. Yeah, of course. Even if what's happening on screen involves characters that are have agency and are empowered, the decisions to make films like this are misogynistic right then and there. You are marketing them a certain way. You are tearing the clothes off of certain actors, not others. Um, I mean, the, the movies are also homophobic and transphobic, which I did not remember or know. It, All three movies yeah. I've watched of Argento in the last week call homosexuals perverts. And at times they are not unkind to the characters, but they're all paraded out as freaks and made fun of. Right, you see and that. It's that. And it's not necessary, in fact. Uh, they go out of their way to lick the psychosexual. So perverts are a red herring right off the fa- Well, he's gay, he's a pervert. Um, he handles it better in Deep Red yeah, because it's... he allows at least these characters to have agency and be happy or stand up for one another. But it's still troublesome. And it, it happens in Cat of Nine Tales, um, you know, and um, well, in Tenebre. It, I don't a, remember Tenebre there, there, very there are well. Two char- there are two lesbian characters in right. Tenebre. They're targeted because of that. Right. Because I mean, that's, you know, when... whether you believe what your characters believe or not, you're presenting this for entertainment. And that's that's well, that's a that's a that's your call. When you, and I found it really difficult to hit that over and over and over again. I well, mean, yes, it's, it's like Richard, reading Richard Lehman. Sometimes it gets a little much. Yeah, but know? but at the same time, it also plugs into that. Oh, this again, you know? Oh, well, this knife thing again. This elevator again. This double identity again. These visions of the we see visions or we see. Yeah. You know, memories of killers to try to make us understand why they're mentally unstable in a lot of his films. Yeah, well, he parades out. There's a scene in Bird with the Crystal Plumage that makes no sense whatsoever, except it's got, you know, bad 70s psychology. There's a lot of bad psychology running through these films. And And, well, the science, at least, you know, they're making it up. The psychology, you're just like, uh, this is probably written by a real person. Somebody has probably written this crazy shit. You know that nobody is doing Y chromosome <laughs> profiling like in Cat of Nine Tales and going crazy to preserve that they'll be kicked out of some. I mean, that was bizarre. You, but they know. did think about that years ago. It was oh a, sure. A I mean, you know, phrenology and have bumps on your head and the the way your face is shaped and your you know or your race or if your eye yeah will catch the last thing it sees before oh. it does, which is four flies. Four flies and uh, the Horror Express has a oh, big yeah. a bang oh. on that. But, yeah, I mean, I find that stuff fascinating, and it's also what keeps Giallo fascinating in that they are willing to throw in pseudoscience and the occult. I rewatched Deep Red last night, the two-hour version. We were just talking about it. Um, these are the films that came over as well. I mean, a lot of people have this allegiance to certain films, you know what I'm saying? Uh, sure. And they're part of the canon, and they're better than other films. And it seems like that's been laid down since the 80s, the 70s and 80s, because 
you people could see some of these movies back then in uh, early cable is where I first saw Deep Red. I saw the short version of it as a kid on Wometco, and I didn't know what to make of it. Definitely affected me because I just thought it was insane. Well, how many movies have we <coughs> seen because of our age group? Yeah. Where we saw either on TV or on VHS that were cut up. Yeah. Sure. Pan and scan. Looked like hell. Washed out crap. I didn't appreciate Bava until I started seeing him in crisp. Yeah. It's a, it is a different experience. I've made it a point to try to watch the best available copies of these yeah. things now because, quite frankly, when you watch Suspiria... You want it to be I lucked blinding. out. I got to see it for the first time on it because of the copy you have, and it, I understand it. Yeah. I understand Suspiria now. I mean, I, it's, it was on my bucket list of films that scared me too much as a kid to go near, and then I just stayed away from it because I thought it would be idiotic because I had seen some really bad Italian horror movies that you know were fun, but I was like, I'll watch something else. I'll get to right. it. And I watched it. I enjoyed it from... I thought it was in some ways his most Bava-like film because every shot counts right and there's just about every shot counts and bava tends to do that the scenery the buildings oh, everything ridiculous. looks dreamlike it's, it's terrific it's yeah insane elevators no elevator yeah. would ever look like that oh, but it's beautiful there is so much work done to throw you off of the killer and it's totally pointless because <laughs> You kind of there are certain shots and certain ways that they introduce characters and deal with characters in horror movies or any movie where you go oh I think it's that person or they're deeply involved because they're just trying so hard yeah. to not yeah. tip their hand that they end up tipping their hand and also as you watch these things you start we were talking about you didn't see this in the theaters one after the other you start to realize that they're aping their own work they're taking pieces of their own work so when you watch one movie that has a certain thing going on with the identity of the killer or killers the next movie actually does it too they just have their own take on it but it's the same ending of the mystery you know it's it's like that makes the experience different obviously watching them but that makes every movie different nowadays if you watch every single friday the 13th if you watch every carpenter or cronenberg or uh you know kurosawa you're gonna start seeing the ticks but you, bomba's ticks are well known at this point What we watched. Roses are red, violets are blue, but the iris is a flower that will mean the end of you. You can run from Suspiria. So what have you watched? Because I watched a lot of stuff recently. Right. I've been drawing in front of, you know, I've been doing, working on, and so that's really helped. And that's making me wish that I had the TV in front of the drawing board, but it'd probably make me watch even more shit. Um, so I, be, I caught up on a bunch of stuff uh, that you've been able to get me, all stuff that I wanted to see when I was a kid. Suspiria we talked about in the Giallo thing. And you? I loved it. There you go. My whole life, I thought I just had to have it, you know, in my book. From the beginning, I was hooked. The stuff that I didn't like, I liked. You know what I mean? I thought the ending could have been tighter. It doesn't really give anything away, but it literally takes a right turn and doesn't go forward. You, there's a lot of characters, and there's a mega boss, and then there's bosses, underbosses, and whatever. And they kind of ignore them at the end. Yeah. It's an interesting choice. It's a weird choice. 
I like the movie, but and I have it doesn't really make me go, oh my god, that was horrible. But I thought that everything was so tight in the movie that it just really felt weird that basically you wanted to see Odd Job die. Do you know what I mean? Sure. You want to see James Bond beat up the the assistants. They they handle it. They deal with them. You know what's happened, but it feels weird when the characters don't get to confront each other too much or whatever. I'd like to see what you think of the. Uh... The remake. I, I want to see the remake now because I know you like it. I, I like it a lot. And yeah. I don't know what... I do not... I don't pay attention to new movies, which I'm going to have to do because it would be cover some stuff that isn't right. 40 years old. But um, I haven't seen much talk about it. Usually there's... You get an, you get the idea people are talking about a movie. I didn't... See, it's like... It's like the Evil Dead remake. It's just like... Oh, that came out? I didn't realize that it was. It, it, I think it falls. It into didn't the, do that well. Or? No, I think it's it's art housey too. Oh, okay. I don't yeah. think it's really going in the wheelhouse of just horror fans. It's not. Yeah. You know, it's not the people who go, "Oh, this is the Bala book this year." Or the Bala, the Baba dude, the Bala book, Babadook, the Bigabong. I didn't see that. I mean, I want to. It looks yeah. like Paper House to me. It reminds me of Paper yeah, House. I've never finished face, Paper House. I like Paper House yeah. quite a bit. It's small. It's a, it's it's not a big. You know what I mean? It's a very small film. Um, Nothing doesn't get super exciting, but I like it. I've seen it twice, but they don't go with the color schemes and stuff. The art direction—that's the only thing I think I've read that they do not go with the glaring. They make it er, like dirty beautiful instead of bright beautiful. Yeah, and I think they take what essentially is a very thin plot of the original Suspiria and goes, well, how would we flesh it out? Like if you said, "I got to make a fucking remake of this," what am I going to do? Yeah, yeah. And I think it works for me. I like it a lot. So you hooked me up with Kuroneko, 1968. Right, I haven't seen that. I loved it. Yeah. But I love, I'm, I'm a sucker for that. But if, if you like Onibaba and uh, Kaidon or Kaidon or the versions like that, I just, I can sit down and just get into that mindset and again watching the the theatricality of this movie of movies like that i'm like i can't i'm I'm using a different standard on the giallos and italian films i'm not approaching them culturally or understanding them in a way i'm good with the cliches of this thing and i've grown up on them i'm used to them so things that i know people don't like about some of the older japanese um ghost films uri films or whatever is the the theater like quality of them um, they're unreal too. Um, they don't explain a lot, you know. And they're like this thing. It's very folklore based. I love that stuff. I thought it was beautiful look, looking. Yeah. I, really, I just really liked it. It starts off really uh, dark in that there's a very there's a it's not nothing is shown. It's just it's just ugh, the the implications of the real world events in the beginning that kick this thing off is just like yeah I'm feeling good about humanity. Um, but I really liked it. Yeah, I love. I'd like to see Onibaba again. All this stuff. I would just dive in on all of that. Um, I finally got to see Hausu a few before, but it was before we recorded, and yeah. I loved it. I had seen lots of it. I never got to see the release. I mean, Hausu is like the number one film that I have gotten people to go see, and I never got to see it myself. Really? Yeah, because I was. I had seen. I had seen a lot of clips from it, and then it, when it got the release, there was a lot of people throwing up stuff, and and I'd seen documentaries that had it and I was like oh yeah I can't wait and I actually enjoyed some of the non-horror I enjoyed the entire nonsense where they get to the house and they introduce the characters in this very rock and roll high school almost kind of 
Mad Magazine almost aspects of things where uh, characters are talking and a ball gets thrown at one of them. She gets up and kicks it just as they introduce her. It was just, I love the whole presentation. The movie is just, it's again one of those movies like Suspiria. It's its own thing. Right. Nothing is quite like it. Um, it's but I cared for the characters in that movie. I actually worried about the characters. I did. Um, yeah. Well, the, here's the funny thing. I'm watching this thing and I'm like, I ended up watching another, wait, I ended up watching a movie called, on YouTube called the, the because um, if I can find anything like this, that's like 60s, 50s horror. One of the problems I have with them is that there's, so, there's such great silent stretches in some of these movies that I, I can't watch it too late, you know. I got to be awake. But it was called the, uh, the Snake Girl and the White-Haired Witch, I believe. I'm watching this and I'm going, it's like 1968. It's crazy. Mm. It's, it's another, there's nothing quite like this. Um, and I watch it, I go, man, did that feel like a Umetsu manga? It turns out it's two of his oh. mangas slapped together because it's got these kids stuff. And So, yeah, I mean, off topic. Anyway. The rest of you will die. There will be darkness, damnation, and a meaningless death. Uh, I got to see uh, Seizure. Because Seizure is a 70s movie. That's uh, Queen of Evil. That's the first movie by Olive Stone, which might turn off a lot of people. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I think that he could have been stopped right then and there okay. if somebody had done their job. I mean, Olive Stone's interesting. I have no interest in most things Olive Stone. I do want to see The Hand. But I mean, oh. His, his... Oh, yeah, I know. But his films got like... Even before he became demonstrably paranoid and wacky... Uh, you know, The Doors, I think, was like the last thing for me. The Doors was just like a... But anyway, Seizure is a movie that's, uh, you know, low budget, but all the actors are known quantities. If you watch a lot of movies, you'll recognize a lot of these people, which is really cool. Christina Pickles is in it from St. Elles. It's, oh, it's insane. I've seen this. I it's was looking insane. up... So, so It's just not as insane in the ways that I wanted it to be. You got Jonathan Frid. Barnabas Frid. Collins is an artist who makes children's books. And he has a lot of friends he doesn't seem to like, and they don't seem to like each other, and they don't like him. It's obnoxious. And as that's why I that saw goes. the movie. I was like, oh, well, wait a second. But it's got Mary Warren of, who I love. In fact, in my opinion, this is her movie. Um, it's got Martine Beswick, who's beautiful. To me, it's like Mary Warren of just somehow blows her out of the way because she gets into a bathing suit, and she's very physical in this role, and she's really snarky and funny. And I just think she's terrific. She never has gotten her due, in, in my opinion, or gotten used. She's really in this movie quite a bit. I, I was rooting for her, even though I knew, she, you know, it's that kind of movie. There's a lot of twists. And oh, Hervé Villachez is in it. Hervé Villachez is in it. So you got Martine Beswick from, like, Hammer and, and stuff. Hervé Villachez, how do I put this? It's really hard to take Hervé Villachez seriously. I'm sorry. I don't mean that even for... It's not his diminutive size, that he's a little person, that his... His voice is odd. I love him in The Forbidden Zone. He will forever be a hero of mine because of being the, the king of the, of the fourth dimension or whatever he is. But he's got so much baggage to see the movie now. You know? He's not scary or anything like that. And he's supposed to be pretty scary. And yeah, you've got Love Boat and his, you know... Fantasy Island. Fantasy right. He probably was on Love Boat. <laughs> but he's got so much baggage from his personal life and everything else like that. And he's just... He's also just not scary. I mean, there are a bunch of movies in the 70s that use uh, little people uh, as evil characters. There's a horrible British film that has, a, it is a laugh riot. That not was, uh, with... Uh, the one with Joan, Joan Collins. Collins. 
Scream. Run. Hide. It is the time of absolute terror. You will have a baby, a monster, an evil monster conceived in your womb, as big as I am small and possessed by the devil himself. That movie is a fucking howler. And that one has Carol Monroe in it, I think, also. And, and that movie is about somebody pissing off a dwarf, as they call him in the movie, in a disc attack or something like that, basically. And he curses her. The guy is hilarious because he really just looks like he's dressed. He's not art directed to be scary. And Hervé Villachez is just, it's, he's Hervé Villachez. You just go, this is Hervé Villachez. You know what I mean? Um, but that, the, that movie's Sharon's Baby or uh, I Don't Want to Be Born. I Don't Want to Be Born? I didn't I see, I'm telling you, I don't think I saw it under either title. I'm not kidding. The Devil Within Her? That's the one I saw it under. They had to keep trying with that one. That movie's bad. That movie is fucking rip-roaring bad. It's, and then you just start laughing when they tell you what actually happened. Because they don't reveal... I'm sorry I revealed the part of that movie to you. You don't want to see it. Yeah. It's one of those movies with the special effects or people pulling things on wires because there's phenomena. And that's really it. It's just shit. Yeah. Unbelievable. But um, Seizure is really weird. It's a psychodrama. It's, it's very... The dialogue is very off-Broadway play kind of thing. It's new. It's young filmmakers, you know, working. But they have a lot of working actors in this thing. Yeah, Jonathan Fred, Christina Pickles, uh, who I knew from St. Elsewhere. I didn't, I didn't know she was in this. Martine Beswick, who's always playing a vampire. or a, She's the queen of evil in the other title. And it really makes no sense. It's, it, it has a couple of odd scenes. Um, you'll recognize Troy Donahue is in this it's really talky and has a lot of that 70s like almost uh, religious television show slash you know art theater um, let it all hang out get to the bottom of your feelings and then it has people running foot races uh, like it like it's a, a like the cheapest saw movie ever whoever loses this you know it's all over the fucking place it is all over the fucking and there's a giant uh, there's these three creatures of his id that show up and just, you know, fuck the place up. Hervé Villachez is, he's, I forgot his name. He's based on a real person. They're all based on real people too, which it's like, this, it's like a, it's like a Scooby-Doo episode mixed with one of those <laughs> wax museum. Here's the killers. And it's just, it's definitely worth seeing because it is so fucking nuts, but it it's might a make a good double bill. Sorry, with uh, the Devil Times Five because oh. cheap. Cra- it's not as cheap or as bad. It's 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 better acted. There's some funny bits of business. It's a curiosity. You've seen it, right? Yes. It's really weird, but yeah. So you saw it as a kid? I believe that was one of the movies on Netflix that I yeah. was like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah. Or I think it's like Barnabas Collins was in another. Yeah. Movie. I like House of Dark Shadows. I uh, haven't seen those. Um, I haven't seen it. They're not Gosh. good, but there's something that I remember Is that watching. Dan Curtis? Yeah. Now, I've never seen Dark Shadows. That's the funniest thing. I have watched the first like six episodes of the soap opera itself. And I kind of love it for its cheapness and its New York actors showing up. And like, you know, I reckon Conrad Bain is, a bar, is behind a hotel. I like it for its stuff not worth getting into yeah. you know i like it for old show business reasons yeah. and I, it was on it's on youtube and i was like i'm gonna watch all of them and i i really do want to go back in i listened to the um uh, big finish audio 
They made a bunch of uh, Dark Shadows audio stories. They did them with as many cast members as they could get. Wow. They had like four original cast members. And I, knowing nothing about it, these were self-contained ghost horror supernatural stories and about Collinsport. And I really enjoyed them. I, they were on a radio station, that play, uh, an online station, um, so Haunted they, Theater. Yeah. And uh, they ran them, and uh, I enjoyed them. So that made me start looking. So yeah, I mean... I've never seen the two movies. It's kind of like, a, for some reason, I always think of them as the same as the Doctor Who movie that Peter Cushing made. That yeah. I, I, I feel like I need to have that under my belt, and I, I don't. Yeah. And people don't like it, but come on, Peter Cushing yeah, is Doctor t- Who. Yeah, that, well, uh, I, I saw that when I was a kid, and yeah. I don't even remember it. But, yeah. the, but the, uh, the Dark Shadow movies I watch every once in a while because they, they have that kind of Count Yorga. Yeah, yeah, Blackula. 70s. Count Yorga films are funny. Oh, yeah. I always wanted to see. Wanted to see. Do they pre? Does Blackula and Count Yorga predate the Night Stalker? Like what started the traditional monster tossing cops around? All three of those things. The knights have cops being manhandled and thrown around like yeah. stuntmen, which you don't get in, in the old movies. Hammer yeah. everybody presents themselves and then stabs something. Yeah. The old the Universal mon- monsters. You know you're frightened and you get crushed or whatever the hell you're right. bit. But yeah, this was like, you know, wrestling. This was a free-for-all. They're just tossing stuntmen. You can always tell when a stuntman's playing a cop, too. You know what I mean? They're all hopped up. You know? They can't say their line, their one line. Hey, you! Stop right there! You know, they fuck that line up, but then they go, you know, they take their... But yeah, it's, I love that. I love I love monsters throwing people around. It's actually, There's something satisfying from it that definitely goes to Night Stalker. Oh, yeah. And uh, so when I was watching Count Yorga for the first time, we're black. I'm like, yeah, get him black. You're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kick their asses you know i love that i mean it's great so yeah seizure is weird mm. seizure is a lot of psychodrama and uh what's that uh religious show that i love and i can't remember the, the name of it that would be on sunday nights out out um oh it was it was like a twilight zone for it was a religious twilight zone and they got tons of of known quantity actors yeah to be in this thing and i watched that when I had insomnia. They were all like morality plays. Yeah, and this, this blonde, this very tall blonde guy who looked like Pruitt from CPO Sharky would introduce them. And I forget what order of uh, denomination or what have you. Um, I'm a lapsed Jew, so I don't, I don't know any of this shit. But they would have, Harold Gould would be on them. They would have really, uh, Walter Matthau, I think. They had serious actors on these things. Jack Albertson. And they'd be science fiction and fantasy tinged stories. Yeah. You know, the last comedian alive and robots are in his audience. What the? F- I watched them religiously. I mean, I was like afraid of them because the, re- the religious angle would always freak me out. Because, you know. Insight. 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 Stories of modern man's search for meaning, freedom, love, insight. Stories of today's, and it's very hip. It's like the electric company making, you know, it's like it's got those theater, New York theater things going on. And they had tons of people who you'd recognize, a lot, some very famous. And then when they brought them back, they brought them back like 20 years ago. I was like, trying to get Sarah to watch them, but she, you know, that's like UFO stuff for her. She's like, have a good time. I hate UFO stuff. <laughs> okay, I can't, it makes her crazy. Yeah. But I, I, I love that stuff. There's so many weird, interesting things about, about that. But it's got that New York theater, early filmmaking vibe that I like. It's a fucking mess. Um, you know, if you like Oliver Stone, you should see it. It's his first movie. 
if I mean it, it's it's watchable and it's it's weird enough to keep going, but it, it doesn't seem to know what to yeah. do next. It's it links a lot of bad speeches with horror movie stuff, and it just never gets good in horror movie e. Yeah. So yeah, that was a downer. Here in this primitive river bottom wilderness in southern Arkansas, along with deer, duck, crane, and beaver, lurks a creature that walks upright. Whether it is a man, a monster, or a myth, no one really knows. I was not happy to see the legend of Boggy Creek. Oh, what are you talking about? Talking about the legend of Boggy Creek, Paul. So now we can finally talk about how Bigfoot is real. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, he is, because I saw him in The Legend of Boggy Creek. Now, this is a movie I've been wanting to see. It's from 1972. Why? Because that's when they made it, Paul. No, what, why did you want to see it? As a kid, I would have been seven years old when this came out. It was, the, it was as, they, as they say, it was the shit yeah. in Brooklyn. Okay. okay. Everybody I knew was seeing it. The ads were running on TV. Now, they can make anything... You'd have to be a bad editor to make a bad trailer. It's been done, but they can make anything look good. I didn't know it was. Um, <laughs> I didn't know it was the legend of Boggy Fucking Creek. I thought it was a story. No. Nope. About nope. Well, it's a story. It's a whole bunch of stories. It's a bunch of bullshit. But it is so boring, and bad, and murky, and yes, true. I'm seeing it in my fifties. As a kid, it would have scared the shit out of me. And it sure. did. When I was a kid, it scared the okay, shit. Okay, so me. did you see it when it first ran? I saw it when it first got on TV. Because that damn thing was everywhere. It made like $20 million. Mm. I looked it up. It's, it was an insane hit. And it was part of those weird 70s films. That What was that company that made all those? Sun? Sun Classic. And they go, well, ancient aliens. And, um, you know, bullshit. And Azteki uh, That's the money scheme. We found the art. We found the art. I didn't know that Legend... And now they're not involved with Legend of the Boggy Creek. I, know, I didn't look it up. Supposedly, the guy who made this was a kid, and there was a monster. They don't really say Bigfoot, if I remember correctly. Oh, it's been I, a while since I've seen it. I wandered a bit. I was. I went to my. This movie was so boring that I went to my drawing table and I just looked over a lot because it's ra- it's radio with pictures and a big chunk. You're not missing a damn thing. It's people walking around the woods pointing at stuff and a guy in a gorilla suit running around in the distance. Towards the end of the movie, Gorilla Soup makes his appearance, and you're like, holy shit, it's really a gorilla head. <laughs> you think, you know, Chuck McCann's walking through this. Like, couldn't they have done any, put ping pong balls in its eyes or something, or painted it? Fucking guy. It was, it was such a letdown because Clifford Black, one of my best friends when I was a kid, told me about a scene that the monster attacks a guy while he's on the can. Oh, no. Now, you got to understand, when you're seven years old, that's sacred. That's worse than the shower scene in Psycho. I'm, you got to do your, your business in private. Nobody should be coming in there, especially not a gorilla suit. Okay, so I'm sitting there going, "Where's the gorilla suit?" I'm like, "He he probably t- I probably misremembered this because it happens all the time. I misremembered scenes from Deep Red when I rewatched it recently. I I things don't happen the way that I remembered them or don't happen. So Boggy Creek is just a guy going around narrating a story about all the people who've supposedly seen a, a Bigfoot creature with a hominid uh, cryptozoology horseshit guy <laughs> hominid with, or guy in gorilla suit they got the people who were actually who filed these reports or told people about these things years later they play themselves oh so that's great they play well they're very good as themselves 
You can believe that they're themselves. You believe that? Yeah, except for this one old guy. I didn't believe he would. I think they got a ringer. So you get a lot of awkwardness, and you get these stories that have no endings. So basically, it's a series of 10 Bigfoot sightings strung together with some deep thinking from the guy who saw him as a kid and wishes he could see him again. The best thing about this movie, I'd say, is that you get a real sense of place and time. You see real locations and real people. I always find that very interesting in movies, but this was a bad example because you get tired of these people <laughs> and you get tired of this place and you get tired of this rustic nonsense and you're tired of people walking around doing nothing and then going look and there's a shape all the way out as a kid this would have scared me the last like 25 minutes you might uh, if you remember is, is the longest piece if this was an amicus film this would be the this is the killer is this one family who keeps seeing the gorilla suit and flipping out the babies are screaming the the women are screaming the men are running around, and finally they run around and start shooting shit. They start shooting their rifles up. And I'm going, well, if you edited this piece and said it was the Hopkinsville Goblin story, yeah, right. it would be fucking great. Right. All it needs is liquor. And it's just these people going, what's over there? Bam! bam and they're shooting guns off, and people are screaming. The kids really seem upset because they're shooting real guns off. The movie amounts to nothing. It yeah. made $20 million. It was the... And yes, the, there's a guy on the cam, but the guy, the monster is outside. And it made it sound like he was in an outhouse, which is even scarier, you know? And uh, he runs out, and the monster never gets near him. So Clifford, it wasn't that scary. Yeah, my, my memory of the film is, stay away from that window. Holy shit, they don't stay away from the... It, <laughs> but this movie is a stinker. There is some absolutely funny folk music, country music song. That sings, the guy sings about what they believe. I thought this was very rude to the, uh, first of all, I thought they were bad cryptozoologists. They never once felt that this could have been a, a series or a family or a string or happenstance. A string? Someone put together. A string of sightings that Because I was different. hoping it was a, they were, were going <laughs> to knock over the, the local fucking moonshiners. Get me the best big feet we could get. <laughs> That's too little foot. That's a medium foot. So, but um, this guy's song is fucking. But yeah, but nobody ever can. There's no conjecture that this could have been over the 10, 15, 20 years um, that it could be another. Would you think you saw the same deer 15 times in a row? Well, I'm sure it, there are more deer, but. Did it have a, like a, a gray mustache? Maybe it got older? I, no, it had this Reed Richards, Nick Fury hair going thing. It saw bit. too much. But then it didn't have anything, but it could have been broke. You know, it could have been hair club for Bigfoots or something. <laughs> Gorilla suit fur for Bigfoots. It's so fucking bad. I don't know if I'd recommend anybody watch it. I mean, if you're of a certain age or you just, you love bad movies and you have, you do carpentry or something while you watch your movies and you have a lot of band-aids on your hands because of that, you know, or you draw or something like that. Yeah, I would, I, you can fast forward through it. Through it. Nobody if, would blame you. If you're obsessed with 70s Bigfoot right. documentaries, you must see this. Yeah, you definitely have to. And if you have, and basically if you've seen it, that's, I think you've seen them all. Uh, yeah. And what's interesting about Boggy Creek though is that it is one of those things that is just famous Oh. and made a ton of money. It's, it's infamous. Kept getting released. They've, People keep making sequels and remakes, fictional ones. The the, the this is the the real remake. The guy made another movie. Right. It's so there's five Boggy Creek movies out there, and I I defy any podcast. Go ahead because we're not doing it. Go watch Legend of Boggy Creek, then watch the four movies where they return, they revenge, 
the real story, the true story, the classic, all that shit, we're, you can have it. We're losing all the Bigfoot aficionados now. Nobody, oh, you know, they find no evidence. Just want to let you know. In case. Oh, I thought they found Bigfoot. No, no, in, in Boggy Creek. Oh, I thought that. And he's like the monster of Boggy. They call him the monster or, or uh, Abner a few times because they, they found the guy in the suit. His name's Abner. They should have called him Monkey Man or something. But they find some, they find some footprints, but I think people fuck him up. They find some, a dead dog. That was sad. Yeah. That was sad. The dog does not play himself, I guess, because the dog was killed. So I guess they had a new dog. Oh, I don't know. I'm not watching it again. But they don't find any fur or any, you know... Uh, uh, scat? Scat. A copra... Copra... Feel it? Cop... Shit. They don't find any of shit. Big shit. Yeah. Well, big ass is the character I would like to do. I would like to see big ass running around. Why don't they have big ass? Nobody is... <laughs> somebody's got to have done big ass. Crumb? Did he? He probably did. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, the song is amazing. But what I didn't like about the song, because I realized I I didn't finish it. um, The song is all about the loneliness of of the monster. I I, I was really upset about this. First of all, the monster can be his own person. But it was all about, you're the only one of your kind. That, That is not scientific, number one. You don't know what he's got at home. Or he might have, maybe he's like a delivery Bigfoot. He brings food, he brings nuts and berries to others, and he's got a family there. What? 15 minutes or it's free. <laughs> yeah, well, no, he's got to lope. He lopes fast, but he's not going to do that. They, don't call, they howl to one another. But no, it's true. What if he's moving through, and that's why they don't see him for a few years at a time? He might have a family somewhere. So all the, the song is very depressing to me about how they, they suppose they know how he feels. That's, that's not, okay? Don't push yourselves on, I, other, on I, another I, culture. Okay. Like that. That's bullshit. Okay? It's very paternalistic and Joe paternalistic. <laughs> it's, it's wrong. The whole song is just wrong. But it is the 70s, so we have to allow them to do that, apparently. Yeah. And keep shooting. So don't watch... I don't know what that means. Don't watch Legend of Boggy Creek. There what a go. fucking letdown. Join the boys next time for an all What We Watched episode. Visit the website, teartheapartpodcast.home.blog. Listen on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play Music. Follow on Twitter at Tear Them Podcast. Insight. Episode 3, Jallo 2, Electric Boogaloo. Insight. <laughs>